Hey, oh, welcome to How to Write a Novel. Cold ass winter day. So I was just thinking today, like, yeah, hey, you know, I think I got uh, enough crap on. Oh, shit. Almost fell down. Good start. I was just thinking today that I think I got enough crap on my mind that I could do a podcast. But I didn't expect to be talking about this. I thought, uh, let's just talk a little bit about deleting your work. Because. <laughs> Right after, I thought like, oh, you know, maybe I'll do a little podcast as I walk home today. I went to make a backup of my writing. So I got this little Chromebook and I've got a little micro SD card just in the SD card slot. So I just make backups, throw them on the SD card. Not the best thing in the world, because if I lose the Chromebook, you know, they're both gone. But not a bad practice to have, but instead of deleting, you know, I went to delete the old backup off the SD card, and then there's just that moment where I'm just sort of sitting in stunned silence where I realize, wait a second, did I just delete the writing off the main hard drive? (laughs) Did I just delete my writing? What the fuck? And this is where I learned. It turns out, I guess it's because Chromebooks, they really don't encourage you to use the hard drive. The hard drive's really small. You know, they just want you to stream things or use the cloud or whatever. So there is a a recycle bin, a trash bin as they call it, but it's not turned on by default. You have to go through some arcane processes to turn this thing on. It was not turned on. There was nothing in the trash folder. And I'm just like, what the, what the hell? But I got away very, very luckily with this because, yeah, I did it. I deleted everything. Everything's gone, not just this novel I'm working on, everything. But the reason I'm not upset is the timing really worked out well here. I got really lucky where after all of this, I mean, at least the last two years of me saying, oh, I'm nearly at the end of this fucking book. Oh, I'm almost at the last chapter. Now I really am at the last chapter, for real. The other day, I finally finished the second to last chapter. So I made a bunch of backups at that point. And once in a while, I just put all of my writing in a zip file and email it to myself. So if you were to trawl through my email, you'd find intermittent little emails to myself, probably going back to about 2006 where I don't do it consistently, there's no set schedule, just once in a while, I just email all my writing to myself. And because I just hit this big milestone, I just sent the last little backup to myself through my email five days ago. (laughs) Not that big a deal. So it's like, whew, thank God. So even though I realized like it's not really that bad, it's still pretty hard to shake. I still sat there for 10 minutes feeling like, just what a, a unexplainably bad feeling. It really doesn't feel like anything else. Of just like, it certainly doesn't feel good, that's for sure. It's just like you just can't believe you're that dumb that you just deleted your own fucking thing. And surely there's a way to get it back. What about this? What about that? What about that? And just as it slowly sinks in, like, nope, none of these are gonna work. And then even when I realized it's actually not that bad and I can rebound from this very easily, then it's still the two feelings fight with each other for a while. We are like, oh, okay, this really isn't that bad. But I'm still going to feel like a big idiot for <laughs> another 20 minutes, because what the hell? 
Because, yeah, I actually got double lucky where I've really been trying lately to uh, ramp up my writing again. Now that COVID's over and coffee shops are actually open, I've been trying to split up my writing a little more, like do it more often. You know, go to one spot, do some writing, go to another spot, do some other writing. Still hard to do in this town, even with coffee shops open, because there just aren't that many in this town. But I was trying to diversify and, you know, work on different things. And luckily, in the past five days, I hadn't. <laughs> so, so I hadn't lost anything besides the main novel. And this is the very easiest thing to lose on the main novel, because all I've been doing for the past five days, since I'm at the final chapter, this is the chapter with the most notes, by a long shot. This chapter has like 10 times more notes than any other chapter has had. So all I've been doing is splitting those notes into basically six major parts. There's six big beats to the final chapter. So I took all those notes, I put them in their six folders. I took the stuff that just sucks and doesn't make any sense and put it in a I'm never going to use this folder. And I did have some little ideas and thoughts here and there. But not that many, and I'm confident I'll be able to remember them again. So all I got to do is sort things again. And if anything, like, it might turn out better. Usually if I go back through a process like this, the second time I think of even more things, or something else comes to me, or whatever. It's not going to be worse. And it certainly doesn't need to take five days. <laughs> you know, I was really dragging my feet. But now that I've done it once, I can resort this stuff very quickly. So essentially, I didn't even really lose writing. All I lost is some organizing of my files. All in all, the best possible scenario for deleting your writing. But I figured why not bring it up because, uh, you know, I don't have great advice on this front. Really, I think it's just gotta go wrong. You gotta have a disaster, and then that's gotta stick in, in your craw. It's gotta hurt bad enough that you just develop habits so that it won't happen again. And it really hardly ever does for me. I think my original trauma, I mean more, this had more to do with just being a dumb little kid than anything. But when I was a dumb little kid, my dad got this uh, kids word processor program. It's just, you know, supposed to make writing more fun. But I should have just used the word perfect shit that they, you know, already had on the computer that they used because this kids program just sucked. And I remember I was writing a story about Rambo, even though I'd never seen a Rambo movie. I only played the Rambo video game on the Sega Master System. But I had this dumbass story about Rambo that was like three pages long, which felt insanely long to me when I was like eight years old or whatever. Maybe I was 10, I don't know. But I just remember it didn't save properly. The the program corrupted and deleted my dumb story. And I was just inconsolable. I just remember my mom saying like, you know, it's not that big a deal. Let's get back on this horse. Just tell me what happened and I'll type it for you. Like, it's, it's three pages, kid. <laughs> but I just refused. I would not. It's just upset. Which, again, less to do with writing, more just how annoying it is to deal with small children. God bless all parents putting up with their kids' fucking bullshit, because that's one of a million stories I could tell you like that. But yeah, I really do uh, just compulsively back things up, make copies, 
You know, if you go through the closet at my mom's house, there's all kinds of uh, portable hard drives with writing at whatever stage on them. Once phones became a thing, there was always a copy of my writing on every phone that I had when I was using the phones with the slide-out keyboards. Oh man, there's like snow falling off the branches, so it's just really gentle, sort of uh, powdery snow in the air. And then the sun is breaking through the trees, shining through the falling snow. Looks fucking awesome. But yeah, I have so many trails of backups all over the place that uh, I have two emails too, so if I somehow lose one or the other, the other one will have my writing in it. But yeah, the last time I can remember losing writing was like 2013, 2012 maybe, <laughs> it was way back, like 10 years ago. And I remember it because this is also, I just... One of these little stories that I've always thought, like, oh, I guess I could bring that up on the writing podcast. I guess this is the time. Where I had this amazingly good writing habit going for this one winter in Toronto. But I guess I don't bring it up because it kind of is counter to what I've been preaching on this podcast and what has ultimately worked for me. It was one of these cases where, where I really had my shit together and was doing tons of writing, but it just wasn't sustainable. So I didn't want to pitch it to anybody as, like, here's... A reasonable way to you know the way what I say now is find your bare minimum like what is the amount that you can guarantee you will do some work every day because consistency is more important than output and then if you do better than that great but at least you'll always have this one little bit that you did each day and then it all just piles up where what happened this winter I guess it started because the sun goes down so early in Canada, and I was just trying to get more sun. So I started going to bed at like 8 o'clock at night, like the oldest old person. I'm amazed this even worked out for the two or three months that it worked out, because I had pretty much all my friends live in Toronto. The vast majority, and especially at the time, it was before everybody had kids and stuff. So we went out a lot. We were always just going out to bars and shit. But somehow for this one winter, I just developed this thing of going to bed ridiculously early. And then I would wake up at like four in the morning and get up as the sun was either still down or just coming up. And it was just such a cool feeling, get all bundled up. I lived on Dundas at Dundas and Brock in little Portugal in Toronto. So I'd be walking down Dundas toward, oh man, what is that street called? It's hard to remember streets now. Anyway, I would eventually make my way because Dundas runs parallel to Queen. Just head east for a while, eventually head down to Queen to this one Starbucks that was right on the corner. And I just remember as I was walking, all the snow, you know, instead of uh, I was saying here, I've got this beautiful view of the snow coming off the trees. That's not an option in Toronto. The best you can do is the buildings but it was still very pretty of just like the uh, rooftops covered in snow and the wind would blow the snow drifts off the rooftops and the snow would swirl all around and it was just no one was around. Dundas is a really major street but it's just it feels so cozy when there's nobody on it it's just early. And I would walk to this Starbucks and because I was there so ungodly early I think they opened at like five. It's a pretty small Starbucks but it has a second floor. 
And I realized this just from observing other people. I would see other people show up there and uh, just hunker down on that top floor and just not move. Which you could do, I guess, at pretty much any coffee shop, but, you know, it's a little awkward when you're right there in the view of the, uh, all the workers and everyone else coming in and it's like, really, this guy's just gonna sit there for four hours? Where this little upstairs thing, the employees hardly ever went up there. So you're really just kind of out of sight, out of mind. It's just like, probably not the best arrangement, the best way to set up a Starbucks because, because yeah, you'd get up there, it would be me and however other many people, maybe a dozen people could fit up there. And it's like, we're not leaving. <laughs> Here's where we're sitting all fucking day. So I'd just buy a coffee or whatever shit I bought. The bathroom was up there as well. <laughs> this is perfect. And I would sit there for at least four hours a day. And the way I managed to do that, because I can't just sit there and write for four hours. I can't focus on a story for four hours. But I would run the gauntlet. I would have all these different stories I was working on and I would just go from this one to this one to this one to this one. And again, just kind of making it low pressure, not putting too much weight on myself. I would just look through notes, just sort things, just organize. And inadvertently, by accident, as I was sorting, I'd think of something, or I'd write a little bit, or I'd add a thing here or there, and I'd just grind out work, like a bunch of work was just getting done. And I remember during that process, I don't remember exactly what happened, but something happened where I lost my four hours of writing for a day, and I was just in such a good groove that it was just like, whatever, you know, I lost a day, but the next day I just did it again, I just did the grind again, got back to where I was, and it really was a good feeling. It's like what I wish, <laughs> it's what I wish this podcast could have been about. I wish that had been some kind of pattern or habit that I could have maintained. And I could have taught you how to write for four hours a day. But once the weather got better, my sleep schedule changed, more stuff was happening. I don't know, it just didn't maintain anymore and I fell right back into the same thing that had always happened to me throughout my entire life of like, oh, I had this little burst, I was productive for a bit, now I'm just back to not really writing and not really doing anything and time is slipping by and it's just like, how long has it been since I've written? Oh my god, I haven't done anything in two weeks, a month, what the fuck? Ultimately, it didn't work. Ultimately, what did work is this, is the little bit of work every day, which, I mean, yeah, like I said, I'm at the last chapter now. It's gonna take a while because it's a it's a fucking motherfucker of a chapter but it's inevitable at this point there's no fucking way I can fail at this point I'm making it I'm making it to the end but yeah it's extremely uncommon for me to lose writing because I just really carefully back up stuff all the time it's a good thing to be neurotic about it's a good habit to have it reminds me a lot of like my poor dad used to lose his keys all the time. My whole youth, I had to hear him angry because he couldn't find his keys. And it is infuriating when you lose your keys because it's like there's only so many places they can be. What is happening? And it fucks your whole life so much if you don't have your keys. So I just became like fucking mental about it. <laughs> I always know where my keys are. I always know where my wallet is. It's so rare for me to lose stuff. Just total consistency of habit, you know, just follow the pattern. As long as you make sure you always 
back up your stuff, then it'll be backed up. If you make sure you always put your keys and wallet in the same place, then it'll be there. Of course, if something goes wrong with your habit, that's how I lost my passport in Japan. As soon as I put my passport somewhere other than where I always put it, I lost it immediately. So that's the downside, I guess, is that because you're just following a, a pattern that you've developed, you're not using your brain at all. So if something goes wrong, whoops, you're fucked. <laughs> you have no idea where anything might be, but it's still, it's better. There's only so much brain power a person can use trying to keep track of your stuff. Habits, habits are the king. And yeah, they saved my ass this time. I mean, I just, I really though, I just got lucky. I really do need to email my writing to myself more often, at least once a month. I'm gonna start making that a monthly thing. It's a good little wake up call. But yeah, it also made me think of, cause uh, poor old Brianna Mariah from the Teaching Myself to Write Novels podcast, she had like a disastrous losing writing situation because she was uh, working with editors who wanted her to use different software than she normally used. And the software she was using wasn't backing things up the way she thought it was. And she lost, man, I think it was like, it was like three months worth of writing or something. Like just brutal. Just like so must, that's like that feeling I was describing that I felt today for 20 minutes. Like that times a hundred. That's like the, maybe I'll just quit level. of Just like, fuck. <laughs> like that would feel so fucking bad. But she managed to fight through it and just kind of get back to some approximation of where she used to be. Yeah, just pressure and time, it'll eventually get you, get you back there, but oh man, yeah, that's just oof, brutal. But her story made me think of just how, uh, you know, that's something we gotta deal with as modern day writers is tech. There's just whatever various tech you use. Someone also uh, emailed me and told me that they've been using speech to text. And I did experiment with it just a little bit. But the phone I'm using is like an old bullshit phone and uh, there's better speech-to-text programs, you know, that will actually adapt to you and learn what you're saying and stuff. I, the, the little bit that I tried, it uh, was a little too garbled and stuff, didn't really work for me. But that's a very interesting idea, at least for notes or something, or some kind of first draft to just uh, record like I'm doing right now as you're walking around. Go on a hike and you could just record the first draft of a book. That's kind of a wild idea. I don't know if it would work for me, but, but yeah, just, we have all this cool tech now, all this neat digital shit, but if it goes wrong, you get fucked. But that made me think of people in the past. Like, I guess every generation of writer had their own problems. Like if you're writing with a quill, you know, and parchment, just imagine that shit. You gotta get paper that's probably expensive and rare, and you gotta put a fucking feather in an ink pot and you got to keep it from clotting and you got to buy all these supplies and you got to write things out and it's like then what do you do with it how do you mass produce this how do you get it to anyone what the fuck being a writer back then would have been awful and then in the somewhat more modern era i remember reading an ayn rand biography just uh, the typewriter <laughs> i mean again the typewriter is a big technological step up from having to write things by hand but you know, she's obviously a very weird person. And when she first moved to America, she was staying with some semi-distant relatives and she would just stay up all night writing. Cause she also had a whole side career in uh, Hollywood and stuff, writing for movies and things. 
But apparently she was driving everyone nuts with a, this loud ass of this fucking typewriter all night, keeping everybody awake. And it was a combination of that she was just driven and like, I must do this. I must learn English. I must get a job. I must support myself now that I've escaped horrible Russia. But also just that she was on the fucking spectrum or something, to say the least. <laughs> so she just didn't think it was, uh, maybe it didn't even occur to her that she's ruining everyone else's life by just keeping everyone awake with her typewriter typing all night. But then even later when she got famous, she would like hire people to help her type things. And I just remember, I think it was actually in a, a Nathaniel Brandon book. He was like, he was kind of her right-hand man for a while till they had this huge falling out, because of course. But when she was writing Atlas Shrugged, which is one of the biggest books ever, just even the process of, of that, of like if you make changes and make edits, you've got to retype by hand every page that comes after the edit. And even though she had like a helper to help do that type of stuff, like just a mechanical nightmare, so much worse than any problems we have now, you know, with the, oh, I accidentally deleted a folder because I'm stupid or the cloud isn't working right or whatever. Man, they had it worse back then. Not that that helps for anyone who's deleted the writing now, but it's an interesting just thought to dwell in for a while of like, yeah, I wouldn't have wanted to have to write in those days. That shit would suck. I remember I did that a bit just as a pretentious teenager when I was like 16 or 17. There was just like this old retro typewriter in uh, a closet at my mom's house. And I, I did type on the typewriter for a while because I just thought, oh, this is a writerly thing to do. This is cool. But I didn't really stick with that because I, well, I moved to the West Coast and didn't bring a, a stupid fucking typewriter with me. At that point, I mostly transitioned to just writing in notepads while I was on the bus or whatever. And then when I got home, I'd type it into my, my laptop. And man, I, I, when I lived in, in uh, New York, it was 2008 and 2009, pretty much the height of the hipster epidemic. And it really was bad. Holy fuck, people were annoying. And like, you know, in like Brooklyn with the hippest of the hip, like you'd go into a coffee shop and there'd be like some dude with no shoes on typing on an old school typewriter, all loud, ruining everyone else's fucking day. And it's like, God, you fucking mustache douche. Get the fuck out of here, you fucking asshole. <laughs> it really was like the most hateable fucking demographic ever. When you look back at like old 60s hippies and cool 70s kids and even like weird new wave 80s kids, like they all seem cool. But I think when people look back at those mid 2000s hipsters, <laughs> they're just... I think my friend Brad, how he described it, was like, it's kind of a power play in a weird way, that if you can dress that ridiculous and just look that out of sync and just, that you must, like, you must have some social status, right? You must have some place in the world, some utility or power of some kind, some social power to be able to get away with this, <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> you look so fucking stupid. I do not miss that those days at all. I was just there at the wrong time. Right when that was like the thing. But anyway, that's the tale of deleting some writing. It really, I got so lucky. Such a small little thing that, yeah, ultimately 
I should be able to rebound from very, very quickly and it'll probably be better anyway because all I was doing was sorting through notes. The second time through, I'll probably do even a little better. And yeah, the only, <laughs> only advice I can give is just back up everything all the time, as many places as you can, and try to make it such a habit that you just always do it. It's like the writing equivalent of brushing your teeth. You just gotta, just gotta do it. Do it so much that it's uncomfortable not to do it. And then there you go, habit formed. <laughs> and hopefully this shock will last me Next time I uh, <laughs> am hovering over the delete thing, I will really take a second look at it. It's a weird thing too with Chromebook. I mean, I've got the trash can recycle bin thing turned on now, but it's actually two separate options on a Chromebook. There's still the normal delete that just deletes everything. You have to actually choose send to trash. So I've got to uh, develop that routine too. But yeah, I just gotta, now I gotta build the habit to always choose send to trash, not delete. Oh, and you know one thing too about backing stuff up? There's just these things I do that I, I didn't think about till just now, but how much I've internalized this, uh, the pain of losing stuff. Whenever I record audio for a podcast, there's that little interim period, you know, where I haven't edited it yet and I haven't put it out yet. So I always have a second copy of the raw audio on the little Chromebook. So I got it on my main laptop and I got it back up on the Chromebook. If I didn't have the Chromebook, I would just, I guess, upload it temporarily to uh, my website or something and just delete the files later. Because again, it's so rare that something goes wrong. But like when a computer breaks, there is almost never warning. It just happens. Just one day your computer is fucking done for and you gotta get a new one. And all the shit that was on your computer, you're probably not getting back. So I mean, that probably only happens every few years but it's gonna happen. Eventually, it is gonna happen. Every computer fucking blows up eventually. You know, just weird, bizarre errors start happening and it'll barely boot up and like that's, that's it. So I always back up every batch of podcast audio I record. And then once I put out the episode, then I can delete both copies of the raw audio. And I, I don't use the cloud. I just never did it. I just never, you know, especially when I'm traveling, internet connections are not reliable. When I got these huge ass files, the cloud I'm sure be okay for writing because it's small. And again, it's just another technology that could fail. Even if I had a cloud setup, I would still manually back stuff up like this. But yeah, back up everything, back up all the time. Assume everything is gonna go wrong. And then when it does go wrong, it's not that bad. So, okay, there's that. What I was gonna podcast about, what I was gonna bring up, because I just thought this was neat, is uh, again, just how, what the whole thing has been with this podcast, the do a little bit of work consistently every day. And you know, I, I did not expect it to take this long, but at least I'm, I'm there. I'm at the end of the book. It's like, thank God it worked. <laughs> how embarrassing this podcast would have been if I fucking never got to the end of writing a book. What if I just fucked off halfway through? But I thought this was interesting because I just stumbled upon this on YouTube. I was actually just, just one of these little things on the sidebar. It was just somebody uh, reviewing winter clothing, which I got a keen interest in because... Uh, I love winter as an adult. As a kid, I didn't like it that much, but as an adult, I love it. I love when it's cold, I love when it's snowy. I even like when it's all just windy and crazy because I've got all the gear. I've got the long underwear, I got the boots, I got the big coat. I can 
put the big hood around my face and feels like I'm playing Metro or something and a fucking radiation storm is hitting, but I got all my shit on and I can't be taken out by the environment. It's fun. But yeah, it's just watching this guy. His name is Chase. His YouTube channel is Chase Mountains. And he got into details like for mountain hiking and stuff beyond anything I've needed or that I knew. Man, what the hell is that? Some little animal just poked its head out from just where the bottom of this tree meets the snow. But it's white. It's not a squirrel. I don't even know what you are, buddy. He's just looking at me. What animal that lives in Atlantic Canada? There it goes. Oh, no, it's back. <laughs> I should go walk somewhere else. I'm probably freaking this thing out. Don't worry, guy, I'm leaving. Sorry I wasn't fucking with you. It can't be coincidence, right, that it's white and we're in wintertime where there's snow everywhere. I mean, it's extremely well camouflaged for this time of year, which might explain why I've never seen one of these things before. But outside of winter, that would be bad. So maybe this thing just has seasonal colors, whatever it is. I'm gonna have to do some research later. But anyway, so this guy, Chase Mountains, seems like a, an affable Australian bloke. And as I was watching his stuff, he had this little video about why a person might be failing to reach their goals, why they're not getting things done. And I thought this was so fascinating because in his case, it's mainly physical stuff he's talking about. He's mainly talking about how to prepare for hiking. But he does say, you know, this is applicable to many different aspects of your life. And it's incredibly applicable to the shit I've been talking about on this podcast, to the, the habit of writing every day. Because I love hearing people kind of uh, confirming that this stuff that I've stumbled into works for someone else as well. And the idea that it's so cross-applicable to these two different disciplines is so interesting to me. So let me just play this. Let me just play this audio from Chase Mountains on YouTube. If you like it, you can go subscribe to the guy. But all right, here it is. How does it feel to start something new with a lot of excitement today, only to lose momentum tomorrow? Mm. Feels like shit. <laughs> and because of that, you lose pride and you lose trust in yourself and you have this general sense that nothing is ever really gonna change for you. In this video, I'm gonna show you how to put this type of mindset aside. I'm gonna show you how to get your ego out of your own way so you can actually be consistent with something, with anything, maybe for the first time in your life. So I'm not gonna give you my life story here, but I just wanna say that I've spent a good amount of time feeling exactly the way that you probably do now. Not too long ago, I felt like I was cast into a mold as a certain type of person, and I felt like I could never get out of that mold no matter how hard I tried because it was just fact, it was just who I was. Now, I didn't start this channel because I was killing it at life so much and I had heaps of spare time for a sign hustle no, I had done seven jobs in 12 months and I'd either been fired or quit. I was in a really, really bad state of mind. And the only reason I started this channel was because I felt like hiking was the only thing that I was good at. The only thing that I was good at was literally just walking. Fuck. 
Fast forward back to present day and there is a consistent theme on this channel that long-term health and vitality is the most important thing. And long-term health is not about doing or not doing one or two magical exercises. And it's not about following the most up-to-date science-backed training program. When you look at the big picture, literally the only thing matters is how consistent you've been with exercise. You don't have a lack of workouts in your life. The mindset is the real problem. What you need is to change something up here that's holding you back. So we're gonna do that first. Now this sentence I'm gonna share with you will change your life if you start to live by it. You're gonna hear this and you're gonna think it's so simple and you're probably gonna be annoyed with how simple it is, but here it is. Do less than you can more often than you want to. I'm probably the only person who's ever told you to do less. Like we're constantly told that we have to be doing more. And yes, in general, in order to progress, we have to demand a little bit more from the body. But right now, you don't have any consistency. Now is not the time for you to do more. Right now, you need to do less and you need to be consistent. Let's start off with the first part, do less than you can. In terms of exercise, doing less than you can means starting out by doing very short, easy workouts where the barrier of resistance is so low that it's almost unreasonable not to do this short, easy workout. It shouldn't feel like a chore to do and you certainly shouldn't be really challenged at all by this. Let's take a look at something called the five Tibetan rites, which I made a video about a while ago. This is referred to as the fountain of youth. It's five very simple exercises done up to 21 reps. And there is plenty of evidence that this can genuinely lengthen your life and it can certainly increase your quality of life and vitality as long as it's done consistently. So I'm taking that same principle here and applying it to a workout that is designed to help hikers stay injury free and generally just to move better and feel better over a long period of time. So you can literally start with five minutes. That's why I posted this five minute routine last week. Now what's gonna happen is your brain or your ego is gonna say, you're above this. You don't need to be doing this five minute routine. You're better than this. I'm telling you, you're not better than this. Unless you've been training three to four times a week for at least three months and doing so consistently, you are not too good for this five minute workout. This is how to start building a consistent exercise routine that lasts for the long term. Do five minutes a day and then stop tick the box. And then the next day, do it again. You're gonna be thinking, God, this is way too easy. Do I have to be doing this? Here's the thing, you have to prove to yourself that you can carve out five minutes a day for seven days in a row before you earn the right to do a longer workout. This is the science of building habits and doing so for the long term. And it's really, for me, the part of science that matters because you can have the best workout in the world, but the most important thing is that you're consistent with it. If you don't have the consistency, there's no point in having the best workout in the world. What matters is trusting the process and building the habits and sticking to that long-term for such a long time that it becomes a part of your identity. So this is the first part. It's about doing less than you can. It's about preserving your ability to do the work in the future. Let's say you buy one of my training programs. You're super keen, you're excited, you do the first workout and you're feeling good, but you're unsatisfied. You don't feel tired. So you decide to do some extra sets of some of your favorite exercises that you love to do. In fact, you're feeling so great that you continue until you're feeling totally exhausted and you finish the workout workout satisfied big hard workout day one killed that session tick the box 
but the next day you're feeling a little tired. And when you look at your training plan, you realize that some of the stuff that's programmed for today, you've already actually done yesterday. And so you convince yourself, I did a good session today. I put in the hard work, I deserve to rest. And just like that, here's the slippery slope. Your consistency and your momentum is gone because you did too much the day before instead of doing exactly what was planned and nothing else. When you zoom out and look at the big picture, doing more today has absolutely no impact on the outcome that you want. The outcome that you want comes from doing exactly what was prescribed and having the discipline to stop before you're completely exhausted. So that is the doing less part. The second and more difficult part of this phrase or this philosophy is doing the work more often than you want to. Let's be generous and say that half of your scheduled workouts, you're feeling good and you're excited to start training. But then the other half, you're feeling a bit flat and you feel like you really don't have time today because you've got other stuff going on. That means that you're only gonna work out best case scenario 50% of the time. Doing 50% of the work is better than nothing, but it definitely doesn't count as consistency. Well, this is not about motivation. It's about training your mind to win those small battles when you don't feel like taking action. If the workout is an hour long, the barrier to entry is far too high. There's just way too much resistance to you going out and doing the one hour workout. And there's so many excuses and so many opportunities to fail out when you have a one hour workout as a beginner. You don't walk into the gym on day one and try and deadlift 200 kilograms. You need to lower the resistance. You need to start with something that you're absolutely capable of doing so that you have that feeling of capability, which is an important thing for a beginner. So don't even think about wasting your money on a gym membership that you're probably not going to use. Prove to yourself first that you can be consistent with something as simple as a five minute exercise routine and build some experience consistently doing something that you don't want to do. Stop trying to bust out of the gates thinking you're going to slay dragons every day for the next year. It's not going to happen. You need to start building some experience and building your confidence with something easy. You literally need to be hunting like sloths or koalas or something. Even koalas are pretty rough to be honest. Get some consistency, get some numbers on the board by attacking something easy. This builds mental fortitude, it builds your confidence and probably most importantly you start to believe in yourself, which makes a massive difference to pretty much every part of your life. Even after a week of being consistent, you can look back on the last week and think, Chip, I just worked out every single day for a week. That's something to be proud of. Every time you leverage self-discipline to do something you don't want to do, your brain gets a little bit stronger. It's like doing bicep curls for your brain. The mind is a muscle that needs to be trained just like any other. So put down the heavy brain dumbbells and let's start you on the baby brain dumbbells. The good news is you won't be experiencing the same kind of resistance forever. At the beginning, it is very hard. You need a lot of you know mental effort to get this done, but eventually your brain becomes a lot stronger and a lot better at doing this kind of thing consistently and just gets a lot easier from here on in. So that's why doing less than you can more often than you want to is my number one piece of advice for beginners and people that have struggled to build consistency really with anything. Like I said at the beginning, this same mindset can be applied to anything in life, anything you wanna change about yourself, you can use this less is more approach. If this is a lesson that you needed to learn right now, let me know why and let us know what you're gonna do about it in the comments. So my favorite part about that, like, that I, I think I'm just going to kind of steal.
it's such a perfect way to distill the kind of thing I've been trying to uh, portray on this podcast is just that phrase he said, do less than you're capable of, but do it more often than you want to. Like, holy fuck, that's perfect. That is so exactly what I've been doing. Sure, I could write for four hours a day. Like I was saying, I did do it for a while. I am capable of that, but it wasn't sustainable. It didn't, you know, it's not something I can do every day. And it's just, it's not necessary. To get to where I want to go, I don't need to push myself to the very limits every day. It's more important to just be consistent. And the thing he said about do it more often than you want to. When I first heard that, it made me think like, yeah, maybe I really should be trying to write more than once per day. Maybe I should be trying to write twice a day. But I had to remind myself like, no, no, I mean, if I can arrange that, that's fine. (laughs) You know, if I can work toward that, why not try? But I'm already doing more than I want to. My brain does not want to write every day. You know, I'm already doing less than I'm capable of, but doing it more often than I want to by writing every day. Because I still feel it all the time when I sit down to do writing. Even before that, you know, it's like to get out of the house, to go for a hike to the coffee shop, to make sure I bring my implements of writing, in this case, the Chromebook, then to get there, to sit down, to open it up, you know? All of this is so easy not to do. It's so easy to take a day off. It's so easy to do something else. I am putting writing high on the list of priorities and I'm making sure that I do it every day. And that is more often than I have traditionally ever done it. That is more often than I want to do it, (laughs) you know? again, it's just that's such a weird catch-22 because I like writing, I want to write, but there's just always that other side of you that just doesn't want to, does not want to put in the work, does not want to put in the mental strain, does not want to put in the exertion, does not want to face, like, what are we doing here? Are we just <laughs> dumping work into future failure and public mockery? There's all that stuff. So I just loved that saying so much because it's like, that is what I'm doing, dog. That is exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing less than I'm capable of, but more often than I want to. And it's fucking working. I'm at the last chapter. Due to today's deletion accident, I'm at the very start (laughs) of the last chapter. So I just thought that was cool because that's not something I had managed to come up with in the years of doing this podcast is a nice little homily, a nice little thing you could put on a fridge magnet. I just think that's a good thing to keep in mind. If you get uh, a little turned around, a little distracted about what you should be doing in your process, what's going to get you forward, what's going to keep you moving, what's going to eventually get you towards your goal, I feel like that's a really good one. Do less than you're capable of more often than you would like to. That is, that's a good one. All right, so that's enough. That's, uh, that's an episode. For Song of the Day, man, I've been loving, speaking of Australia, there's this band Ocean Grove from Australia that I've been listening to like crazy. 
where it's kind of like a new metal revival a little bit, which is like fucking awesome. And I was watching this little live show that they did in, man, was this like the Czech Republic? I'm not quite sure where. But it was just some guy on YouTube just set up his camera and just filmed the show. So it's just, you know, one angle, just a camera sitting there. But the quality is pretty good. And it was just so cool to be able to like see Ocean Grove, see a live show, be there in this little club. And I just love this part where the lead singer dude was talking about how, you know, their band has been around for a while, but really kind of blew up right as the pandemic started. And they put out two albums just right in the middle of the pandemic when they couldn't tour. And how this was their first major tour since then. And how amazing it is to just see all these people singing along to all the songs. Like, wow, these are all the songs we never even got a chance to, uh, to take out on the road. And everybody knows them. <laughs> and like how cool that is. And how nice it was that maybe their band, you know, was like a, a little help during the pandemic times. A little something to help people keep their minds off this shit. When everything was sucking, hey, at least there's some Ocean Grove albums to listen to. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm right there, man. I'm one of those people. I listened to the fuck out of those two albums. Flip Phone Fantasy and Up in the Air Forever by Ocean Grove are both so fucking good. Particularly, I mean, if you like take those two albums and you just kind of pick out the songs that you don't like as much and then combine them all together into a super album, it's like the best fucking album ever, dude. Fucking rules. So let's listen to some Ocean Grove. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time. I just want to take a quick moment just to... Have a little breather, you catch your breath, mate. You've been jumping around, working hard. Very good to see. Uh, this is the final, as I said, this is the final show of this tour. And I think we can all collectively look in each other's eyes right now and and say that this, this, this tour has been the best tour that we've ever done. I can honestly say that. And that's for a few reasons. The first reason is because this isn't just like any other show, this isn't just like any other tour, because last time we were here in Europe, we didn't unfortunately get to come to Prague, but we did a lot of Europe, a lot of the UK, we were here with Crossfaith. Did anyone happen to see us at one of those shows? Anyone? Yeah. Nice. Welcome back. But that, that tour finished, we went home, we put out an album called Flip Phone Fantasy. Did anyone pick that one? Yeah. We were supposed to come right back and play all those songs to you, but we didn't get the chance because the whole world, of course, went into lockdown. And we didn't know whether we were going to be able to do this ever again, let alone to come to the other side of the world and to meet all you beautiful people. And so to find ourselves two and a bit years later, here within these walls, not only playing Prague for the first time, but actually this is our, you know, to headline here and to, to not really know what to expect, but to have a room full of people singing our singing our songs, singing the words to not only one, but two albums that we put out in that time. And we, we can tell from every single show that it has had some kind of profound effect. It's hopefully provided some happy memories, but also got you through some tough times as well, yeah? And so, the fact that we can be here right now, 
celebrating live music, celebrating the two albums that we put out. It means so much more than just any other show, let me tell you. So just take a moment to take this in. This is the first time we've ever been here. It's not going to happen again. And it has been one to remember. Thank you so much for coming out, giving us your energy. Without any further ado, this is going to be our final song. This song is called Sunny. There's no breakdowns. There's no breakdowns, so that bit right there that always looks a little dangerous, nothing's going to happen. All you're going to be doing is jumping up off your feet, maybe a bit of dancing, a bit of smooching. And we want to hear you sing this one with us. Nice and loud, hey. Let's send not only this show off, but this tour, which has been the tour of our fucking lifetimes. Let's give it the best final note possible. The slip is done and feeling up and down, 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 down. Got a little done, done, celebrations of my life. But I got a few that like a favorite life. 